I've already had a great weekend, but it's getting even better on this Sunday because I'm going down the TV rabbit hole with my friend Harry Bartosiak. I'm Jim Sion. I'm in New Orleans. The number one attorney in Chicago is also the aforementioned Harry Bartosiak. How are you, Harry? Hey, fantastic, and uh, had a great night last night. I understand you played at the Bourbon O in New Orleans with your fantastic group, uh, the Asunto Dukes Tribute. Sounded amazing on the Facebook post that you sent. Dino Asunto, who's our manager, he's got a real good video camera, and finally they've got the lighting on the stage right, because it used to be real shadowy, and they had like a blue light and a green light. Now they've just got regular white lights. Anyway, long story short, uh, the audio is great, and the video is great, and thank you very much. We were very happy with the way everything went to, with that video. It worked out really well. Amazing. And I think we we're going to have an amazing show here today. I've got some something fun planned and i know that you always have a surprise or two up a sleeve or two so what do you got cooking today well that's what we do we talk about tv shows good bad indifferent and boy do i got one for you here in a second but first i have a question for you yeah lily tomlin has she ever been funny no (laughs) and one of our worst nightmares came to pass over the past uh, month or so with the theatrical release of 80 for Brady, something that no one in the world asked for. First of all, a movie about Tom Brady. Uh, I don't even think women, I, I mean, I know, you know he's a good looking guy, but everybody, the general consensus is he's starting to look very bizarre as he ages, uh, even for a quote unquote Hollywood handsome guy. And then you get a movie with Lily Tomlin, um, Rita Moreno, Sally Field, Jane Fonda, and I think there's one other um, octogenarian uh, actress in there, uh, pawing, fawning over Tom Brady and going to the Super Bowl. Now, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to see that. I did read two reviews. One was gave it a three stars, and one said it was a god-awful you know, uh, crime against humanity. So, um, But the minute I saw Lily Tomlin's going to be out, it's like, I, hey, I got nothing against um, female comedians. I don't care. I'm not. I'm not being sexist, but I'm saying I never found her to be too funny. Maybe a little bit, like one or two lines from that old telephone operator routine. On was it on Laughing or what was that on or Hee Haw? But that's about it. Well, and in the review, yeah, the only thing complimentary in the and basically. Both reviews. The one that thought it was a good movie overall even said that the the people that saved it were a little bit of Sally Field and Rita Moreno was basically responsible for saving it. Um, I I don't think it was saved, but I'm just saying that that was bad. And uh, and by the way, I don't think Whoopi Goldberg has ever been funny either. I'm not sure what the attraction is. There's a lot of comedians out there that I don't get, that I never thought have really ever been funny uh, but um, you just struck a chord there. So anyway, what was your question again? <laughs> Is Lily Tomlin funny? That's what started <laughs> yeah. it. Well, okay. you know, yeah. there was the great quote, and he, he walked back on this one, but it was like maybe the 60s, and they asked George Burns, they said, hey, are there funny women comedians? And he said, well, now that Gracie is retired, sure there are. There's Lucy, 
and I haven't met the other one. <laughs> oh wow! So, yeah, yeah. no, no. The, hey, I don't know. I don't care whether you're a man, woman, or uh, you, you know, from outer space. If you're funny, you're funny. I'm just oh. saying. I don't. I don't think she's. She didn't strike my funny bone. Tina Fey. I. I still think Thirty Rock is one of the funniest show, the most well-written shows yeah. of the last twenty years. The only thing I didn't like about that show is the fact that they paint Tina Fey as this kind of desperate girl who, you know, is unattractive and can't get dates. And in actuality, Tina Fey's very attractive, at least in my opinion. Oh, I I agree. And she's super smart. She's not not desperate at all. Right. Uh, Yeah, no, and there have been a ton of very uh, awesome and funny women on Saturday Night Live. And, I mean, you don't get any funnier, in my opinion, naturally funnier, than Catherine O'Hara from SCTV and Home Alone and all that. Yeah. I mean, she, she's just got, she's gold, whatever movie she's in. You know? thank, thank God for Christopher Guest and some of the SCTV, SCTV guys and some of the old SNL yeah. guys like Michael McKeon for movies like Best in Show and A Mighty Wind. And, of course, this is Spinal Tap, you know, going way back. But those oh, movies, yeah. to me, you pop that in, and it seems like every line is just a tasty morsel, a, a taste of your favorite pie. I mean, it's just so enjoyable. <laughs> Good way to put it, for sure. And that's where we got a resurgence of Fred Willard's career, too. Yeah, to appreciate some great lines. The great Fred, the late great Fred Willard. Yeah, he, I don't. How think about he's... that little basset hound? What if they put a hat on him, made him look like Sherlock Holmes, and put him, made him smoke a pipe? Wouldn't that be cute? <laughs> that's so perfect. <laughs> Well, he was doing like a Joe Gargiola routine. I used to watch the Westminster Dog Show. Oh, yeah. And that that'd be, that would be like Joe Gargiola would do the broadcast. That would be like his commentary. And look at that little guy really pumping the legs there, really going hard at it. Such a shame that he had that little incident near the end of his career, and I don't remember all the details, but who cares? The work was great, look, and, you know. You get over 70, you want to drop your pants in the theater. It's who are we to to come down and by then you're you know you're entitled to an indiscretion as long as it's done alone or in the dark well i worked with a musician who who made it to 92 and he was kind of racist and he would spout his views and every now and then i'd be like oh and he'd say i'm 85 years old and i can say whatever i want and i'm like okay you know how can you argue with that (laughs) yeah well so in any event uh I guess we got derailed by your Lily Tomlin question. Um, I think it's a great question, but now uh, I think we we need to bring up some people that actually are funny to try okay. to get this thing back on track. Let me ask you this: Is your show that you've picked today would you consider it to be a good and funny show? No. Okay, then I'll go first because mine was supposedly a comedy. Okay. And, and, just, and I just okay. wanted to get, let yeah. you know, I did not pick a show. I'm oh, okay. With that. So okay. You go All right. First. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll pick this show and we'll go through it. I may edit half of this stuff out because this show was on from October of 1980 to May of 1981. 19 episodes. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sound like it was a good show. No, no, it wasn't. But it's one of those shows that for some reason... I was just always home when this show was on, and I too close for comfort. No, that was a great show. Ted Knight, Lydia Cornell, she still looks great to this day. 
Uh, Nancy DeSalt, I think that's how you said her last name. No, that was a good show. That was funny. Monroe. Jim Bob, um, the, what was his name? The guy from uh, Jim Jeff uh, McBob or something like that? <laughs> Jim, Jim J. Bullock. <laughs> that's right, yeah. He was on Hollywood Squares a lot, too. He was a punchline of mine for a long time. If I like wanted to make reference to a bad comedian, I'd say, oh, you're a regular Jim J. Bullock. <laughs> But, but then he then he got uh, okay. then he then he came out as being gay and I think he got AIDS. I'm not sure if he does or not uh, doesn't. But he had some health issues, so I, so I stopped oh. using that as a punchline. But oh. all right, my, all right, my show going back to my show was on ABC, 19 episodes. Now it was produced by the powerhouse trifecta: Paul Witt, Susan Harris, and Tony Thomas. Okay, see so mm-hmm. you. And, of course, they did Soap. Soap was kind of a precursor to this show. Now, one of the stars of Soap. Teachers. No, she played. No, that was a movie. Sorry. I don't even remember. I think you're making that up. Um, Diana Canova was the actress, and she was very cute back then. She played Corrine Tate on Soap. Well, her character was popular, so they gave her her own show. They gave her a new identity. But they gave her her own show, and it was her... Moving back in with her father, who was played by the great Danny Thomas. And, of course, she had a kid who was played by Rory King. I'm talking about the infamous show with one of the worst theme songs in history called I'm a Big Girl Now. Do you remember it at all? No. Zero (laughs) zilch. No memory of this at all. Is this... I'm almost wondering if you're making this up uh, to make uh, get back at me for that time I made up Hollywood High from from scratch. By the way, before we get to that, for the yeah. record, I'm sorry for the interruption, but Teachers was a good guess because it was a show starring, it was a movie starring Richard Mulligan, actually starring Nick Nolte, but Richard Mulligan played a teacher in high school who dressed up as a different characters in history that he taught about. So that's what I've got going on there. Anyway, this is called Big Mama. What's this called? <laughs> I'm a big girl now, and the theme song, oh. and again, I never include music because so I don't want us to get sued, uh, get sued. but the, she sings, Diana Canova sings the theme song, and it's like, I used to be a little girl, but now I'm older, and now I'm a big girl now. I mean, it's the worst theme song of all time. But oh, my I Lord. S- I swear to God, I think I saw every episode because it was on during some time period where it seemed like I was always at home. And I'm glad you don't really? remember it because it wasn't very good. It was, it was actually well, a pretty o- bad show. The only memory I have is some vague memory of Danny Thomas walking around with pretty much entirely gray hair, probably wearing glasses and has a mustache. You know how these guys get mustaches later in life? Like, right. Uh, Jack Lemmon did it for a while. Yeah, Max Bear Jr. Uh, and he was wearing like one of those heavy sweaters with like this sort of heavy longshoreman's rolled up collar roll right. around. Yeah, and walks around making comments, and that's basically the whole character. Well, you know, and uh, that's exactly why I went down the rabbit hole on this show because we'll talk more about Danny Thomas in in a little bit. But for about. Ten years in the 70s, he was trying to come back because he was very famous, you know, in the 50s and 60s with Make Room for Daddy, which was his big TV show. But, and boy, your memory, again, is infallible because he did about three <laughs> or four shows. 
where he was either wearing like one of those sweaters with the big collar, and you're right, the glasses must, and a cigar, you know, inside the house, completely inappropriate. Kids around, he's smoking a cigar. One, one, uh, one show, he was actually a doctor, and he's smoking a cigar through the entire show. And you're like, well, wait a minute, I know it's 1973, but come on, would a doctor really be smoking a cigar in the examination room? You know. I wouldn't put it past them back at that time. Smoking was everywhere. I mean, they literally had, I remember that. They had ashtrays in the doctor's office. Now, I'm a fellow with a heart of gold with the ways of a gentleman, I've been told. The kind of a fellow that wouldn't even harm a flea. But if me and a certain character met, the guy that invented the cigarette, I'd murder that son of a gun in the first degree. Now, it ain't cause that I don't smoke myself, and I don't reckon they hinder your health. I've smoked them all my life, and I ain't dead yet. Nicotine slaves are all the same at a petting party or a poker game. Everything's got to stop while they have that cigarette. Smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette. Puff, 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 and if you smoke yourself to death. Tell St. Peter at the Golden Gate that you hates to make him wait, but you just got to have another cigarette. Matter of fact, my doctor... Um, Dr. Pelka, I went to him because my aunt was the receptionist, and she smoked at the desk in the waiting room. And he smoked, too. I don't think he smoked while he was doing the examinations, but you could he had ashtrays with cigarettes in the exam rooms. Well, back in the day, they used to have cigarettes on Air Force One. Or no, it was matches, I guess, that had the presidential seal and of course yeah. the matches were there so people could smoke i i don't think they had presidential cigarettes that would be going a little too far yeah, um, no. oh yeah I mean, matchbooks were the big thing you collect those when you go to restaurants like i went to the big wagon wheel and 35 years later that's in the drawer my junk drawers the matchbook from the wagon wheel restaurant where they throw peanuts on the floor you know that was a big thing always a collectible yeah, I don't. I even as a kid, I remember thinking, "Wow, why is it? You know, people are smoking. That's actually fire. Right? We have fire inside." And then, you know, my mom would get mad if I'd play with matches, and I'd say, "But you, you've got a cigarette. That's like a match that doesn't extinguish. What's the problem here?" Uh, but I don't know. <laughs> you were right. You were thinking along the right lines, and now we've got society cleaned up in that way. So that's well, yeah, no, I feel bad for smokers now. For God's sake, smokers are ostracized. You can't smoke anywhere. Although I will say this: in Metairie suburb, which is just outside New Orleans, you can smoke in bars. If it's a bar and not a restaurant, you can actually smoke right there. So good, well, good. Yeah. As long as they—that's nothing wrong with that. As long as they lay the ground rules down. Fat Tuesday, I mean, yeah. my Fat Tuesday, my waitress actually was bringing me a couple of beers, and she was doing it with a cigarette in her mouth. So Beautiful. God bless her, you know. Yeah, yeah. You should have taken a snapshot of that and put it right on Facebook. I, you know, that's that's Americana, cigarette dangling from the mouth of a waitress when she's swayed <laughs> swayed back, delivering you a giant cold frosty one. Oh God, and I tell you, Fat Tuesday, I had more than a couple. I was exhausted. Oh, it was so hot. I marched like three and a half miles. That was terrible. All right, let me get back on the road. Let's talk more about Danny Thomas, because I think you're fairly familiar with his career, or maybe not. Oh, sure. You know, relatively speaking, make room for daddy, uh, famous father of Marlo Thomas, great benefactor of St. Jude's Hospital. you got to give him a ton yes. of credit for that. And then a lot of unseemly rumors about his personal habits uh, behind the scenes. Yeah, That's what yeah. I'm 
Yeah, we'll leave those to other podcasts because uh, yeah. that that would be that would be quite a a deep dive. Uh, I guess I, there might be a pun in there somewhere. But no, Danny <laughs> Thomas, and it's a great story because obviously, and you're going to laugh at me. I know I've read his biography or autobiography. I think it was autobiography because he tells the story. He was a a nightclub comedian in the '40s, and he wasn't very successful. Um. And back then, you had nightclubs like the Chez Paris and the 700 Club in Atlantic City. And, of course, Vegas was just starting to get off the ground. Anyway, he was what you called a dialect comedian. Have you ever heard that that, that phrase before? Yeah, that's a comedian that does, like, uh, uh, voices in uh, other of other ethnicities, like a super Jewish talking guy, an Italian talking guy, you know, uh, Russian or Polish. They're they're doing dialects from other countries. Exactly right. And yeah, he told you know st- stock jokes, you know, jokes that probably at this point are in the public domain. Maybe they were in the public domain back then, but he would do them with his inflections. But he wasn't very successful. So, and this is the story he tells. He went to church, and he prayed to St. Jude. He said, St. Jude, I've got, you know, a family. I'm not very successful. If you can somehow make me a success, I promise that I'll pay this back tenfold. I promise I will be so dedicated to you, St. Jude. Well, sure enough, like within a week, and I think it was the Chez Paris in Chicago, whatever it was, I'll put that in the corrections, but they call him for a booking, and he gets two weeks, and they extend him for two weeks. And it's He's played there for like two and a half years. Biggest hit in the world. Quadruped his salary 10 times, sold out shows, and all of a sudden, he's the hottest guy in show business, goes on, does make room for daddy, and of course became an icon. Uh, Danny Thomas Productions, they did the Andy Griffith Show, the Dick Van Dyke Show. Let's see, I wrote down more. My favorite Martian, the Joey Bishop Show, of course. Forgot uh, about all that. I I keep thinking yeah. it was Desi Lou, you know, with Desi Arnaz, but I forgot Danny Thomas, like... About the same time frame, right, was kicking up all that dirt with all those awesome TV shows. Well, and a lot of times, the the Danny Thomas productions were filmed at the Desilu Studios. So you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were all... And where did Sheldon Leonard come in on these? Did he work for Danny Thomas, like get hired as a producer or director or... Yes, uh, they were... I can't remember the, how that they met and when they're, they're – but you're exactly right. Back in the early 60s, like Andy Griffith show, you see Danny Thomas, you see Sheldon Leonard in the credits in just about every episode. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I ha- I don't know about this crappy show Big Lady Tonight or whatever that you're talking about, but Danny Thomas, that – Right. He is – I'm not going to say he's a Mount Rushmore, but he is up there on the – pantheon in the pantheon whatever if that even is that a word uh of uh you know top tier comedic legends like even right. if you don't think he's necessarily funny he's with the milton burl uh danny thomas oh uh, yeah not quite not quite on the level of jack benny and bob hope big Kmart, but uh you know maybe just a half notch below all those guys yeah no i would definitely put him up put him on the a-list and especially when you yeah. look at his body of work you know i talked about all those shows he produced But let's fast forward to the 1970s. And this is what I remember, and this is what you remember. He was trying to come back. So in the early 70s, they did a show called Make Room for Grand Daddy. And they brought back. No memory of that one. No, no one has. No, I think it was only on for one season. They brought back the original cast, 
everyone is, you know, older. Rusty Hammer, you know, looks like an awkward young adult. Angela Cartwright isn't the cute kid anymore. I think it was Angela Cartwright. Uh, she's like, you know, a grown woman. So anyway, he did that show. Then he was in a show called The Practice, and not the one that became famous, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. This was a sitcom. That's the one, I think, where he played the doctor that smoked the cigar in the examination room. Yeah, and I remember that show just super vaguely. Yeah, and again, it had one of those stupid openings where he's walking through New York with the glasses and the hat and the coat, and he's just walking like out of the subway, and he's got a cigar in his mouth, and then he's walking across the street, and he's got the cigar at his side, and he's got a briefcase, and then he's getting in a cab, and then he's walking. Does he get punched stairs. by an old lady when he tries to help her across the street? No, that's that. <laughs> that's see, that's why the Odd Couple was a successful show. <laughs> Because Tony Randall gets punched by the old lady with the purse. So that was funny, you see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, had that happened, the show might have been a hit. But as it was, yeah. it wasn't. He also did uh, that show, I'm a Big Girl, now that I'm talking about 1979, 19, or 1980. And then he did another show called One Big Family in syndication. And I have vague recollections of all of those shows. But like you say, he was dressed and he had the mustache and some and the hat and the, the gray hair and the cigar. And I just remember thinking, eh, you know, he wants to make, he, he's just, I don't know, he just stopped being kind of funny to me. And like you say, he would just sit there and, and make his remarks and whatever. It, it was just <laughs> playing the same character. Yeah, it just. All it of those vehicles good. sound exactly the same to me, <laughs> except that they tried to maybe make in, in this, what's the, the ladies grown up uh, show. What is it? I'm a big girl now. I'm a big tried girl to, now. The, it, it was like they tried to do that girl again or something like that, maybe, right, with the uh, the daughter, and now he's taking a slight back seat, but they're really relying on his popu her popularity and his popularity. But, but otherwise, it sounds like they're just trying to, okay, get out there and be Danny Thomas, and right. let's see if we can light the pilot light on this again and get the people interested. Well, do you know when he did Make Room for Daddy, obviously his daughter is Marlo Thomas, and she was a kid then, he said, hey, Let's cast my daughter, Marlo. She's going to be an actress. Let's have her do it. And it might have been Sheldon Leonard who said, nah, we can't do it. I said, wait a minute. My kid can act. She's cute. What's the problem? I said, Danny says, when they see that girl with that nice figure and that pretty face and that tiny nose, they'll never believe that she's your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And he said, you know what, you're right. And sure enough, they didn't cast Marlo Thomas. All right, back to Danny Thomas. You also may remember him in the 1970s and 80s as a pitch man for one of your favorite products, Maxwell House Decaffeinated Coffee. If you ever look at an old friend and suddenly think he's changed, well, this is an old friend of mine, Instant Maxwell House. And sure enough, it's changed. Now look, Instant Coffee used to look like this, powdery and kind of light in color. But new Instant Maxwell House is chunky. Big, dark chunks of fresh coffee flavor. Now, you and I are old friends. How about you picking up a jar of new chunky Instant Maxwell House for me? I guarantee you, next time, you'll pick one up for yourself. I don't remember that at all. I don't know what the hell is going on in this episode. My You know, I usually remember meaningless stuff like that. I remember the coffee pitchmen as being Joe DiMaggio, of course. I knew him growing up as Mr. Coffee, not sure. the Yankee Clipper. Um, then there was Mrs. Olson for, um, for 
Folgers because she wanted to emphasize that it was mountain grown, which later on I thought, what does that mean? You know, it's grown up on a mountain. Does that make it taste better? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's really anything. No. Juan Valdez, who is a fictional character, used to see pop up with his sombrero, uh, you know, uh, on the label right. of the coffee. That's how you know it's good. Right. And then, of course, Robert Young for Sanka. When our nerves got a little bit too shaky, you know, say, don't worry. Here, have another cup. It's Sanka. It's caffeine-free, you know, with the yellow, orange label. But I no memory of Danny Thomas. Uh, in co- oh, I do remember Carol Lawrence when she would take... This is when she was married to Robert Goulet. Or maybe they just got divorced. She would take coffee breaks with international brands, Cafe Mocha or some other flavored coffee. And she would have somebody over like they're having tea. And how, I thought, how relaxing that looks. You know, isn't that nice? <laughs> Your memory. <laughs> it just, I, you're probably going to go in front of a judge on Tuesday and say, wait a minute. Um, I'm so, Oh, I forgot all my papers. Uh, oh, God. Is this a house or is it an apartment? That I'm sorry, judge. But did you know that Mrs. Ol- uh, Mrs. Olson <laughs> promoted mountain-grown flavored coffee or whatever the fuck it was? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Mountain so grown. Maxwell House, of course, you know what their saying was, right? You know, their brim coffee was what? Let me, it's a little quiz for you. What was the brim saying? It was fill they, it, fill it to the rim with brim. That's right, fill it to the rim. Um, and what was Maxwell House's saying? Good to the last drop. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, now, so I, you're right I, on top uh, of your coffee. All right. What was Folgers stuff. then? Folgers was big back then. That's Mountain Grown. That's it's Mountain, mountain grown. grown. Okay. Oh, see, there you yeah. go. Mm-hmm. All right, more about Danny Thomas very quickly. Upper. No, that, yeah. that's Nas- Nancy Walker and Viva. No, was it Bounty? Right. I don't know. Bounty. All right. Yeah. Well, God bless Danny Thomas because St. Jude's now has eight hospitals. And from what I hear on the commercials, the families and the kids pay nothing. And it's mainly yeah. dedicated to cancer research. And so, you know, God bless him for that. They used to do the golf God tournament. And I think they still do. Marlo Thomas now, have you seen her on the commercials? Now for St. Jude. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... Yeah. We've talked before. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, she's still married to Phil Donahue. Uh, they're they're still together. And they wrote yeah. a book on how to stay married, even though both of them are divorced. I think uh, from prior marriages. But uh, that's okay. That happens, as you and I know, being two divorced men living yeah. living together in an apartment in New York. You know. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. I, you know what, though? I, I think I think we really would become Felix and Oscar. Not necessarily, you know, one messy, but I have the yeah. feeling you'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, you'd be calling up Blanche. Hey, listen, why don't you guys get back together? Or what was, no, Tony yeah. Randall ended up getting back together with his wife. And what was her name on the show? Uh, Gloria. Very good. Excellent. Yeah. See? A plus. A plus. I was thinking more like Pigeon Sisters every night. But, uh, well, no, see. that's true. That would be kind of fun. And then maybe we yeah. could, you know, well, Arlington Park isn't open. <laughs> I was going to say we'd, we'd go over to Arlington Park, you know, and, and bet the horses with the Pigeon Sisters. That'd be a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. And, uh, once a week, you have a poker game, you know, go, yeah. go to the football game. That's a so, pretty good life. Yeah. And somehow Al Molinero would come back from the dead just to play Murray the Cop and be in our poker game. That yeah. would be wonderful, you know. One of us would have to say, Murray, use a coaster. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, if we're, yeah, yeah, maybe if we were lucky, he'd bring some encore frozen entrees with him <laughs> so we could have a nice feast. 
May I have your attention, please? You sure may. Al, this encore lasagna isn't going to fly. There's too much food here for one flight attendant. I can't finish all this rich, meaty lasagna by myself. Whoa, cool your jets. Encore's a two-pound family-size entree. But my family is a thousand miles away. No problem. I'll drop in with my crew at six tonight. Al! Whoa, where's the fire, Chief? About this encore. We'll be there at seven tomorrow. For tasting more, it's encore. All right, we talked about Google, we talked about Marlo Thomas. And Marlo Thomas, you know, has kind of jumped the shark a little bit. Well, do you remember at all what Diana Canova looked like? The girl? No, I, okay. I, no, yeah. sorry. Well, the reason I picked this episode, our newest fan, my friend Troy Reader, uh, Troy Reader, posted on Facebook a little snippet about Diana Canova on Soap. He said, oh, he said, I wish I could run into her at one of these Comic-Con events. I'd, I'd love to see her. So I Googled her, and oh, no. Oh, it's... it's uh -oh. I put the picture up there, and he's like, oh, Father Time remains undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> or something like uh, that. I can't remember. But, yeah, it's a shame. Because she was very cute on soap. And now it, she looks like she's had a little work done and a little more work done and then some extra work done. Yeah, it's a shame. But yeah. Some of them are better off just letting it go. Because you see how these cat women appear or these men that look like, uh, you know, like a Wayne Newton. It looks like he's already yeah. in the wax museum basically um and so just let it go it's better off yeah. doing it that way than mishmashing your face all up with uh artificial because you ain't gonna win that way either no no you know? well and again i think of burt reynolds his last three or four movies where he actually oh, yeah. looked like he looked like he was asian his skin was pulled so tight yeah i mean uh it's a shame and burt reynolds you know there's a guy you know he was the hunkiest man of the 70s for god's sake but well, you know, you know the story about Cary Grant when he got old. No, but he looked he, totally different. He had like his face got all right. swelled up. He had those thick black glasses, and he right. had the shocking white hair. Look almost like Ed Asner from the movie Up. You're exactly right. And Peter Bogdanovich used to tell this story because they were good friends. It was about ten years after he retired, and he kind of you know was out of the public eye. He wasn't doing movies. He didn't do any TV. So then he's got the glasses. He's got the, the silver hair. He's a little heavier. And the Academy Awards say, hey, you know what? We're going to honor Cary Grant. So he got whatever that special award is, the Cecil B. DeMille Award for Lifetime Achievement. Yeah. So he doesn't really want to go, but Peter Bogdanovich says, come on, Cary. We'll go together. It'll be fun. So they get in the car. They go down, and they get to the front of the line. And they say, oh, may I have your invitation? And Carrie, of course, doesn't go to these things. He's like, I, I didn't bring my invitation. And she said, well, no problem. She said, may I have your name? He said, I'm Carrie Grant. And then she does a double take, and she looks at him. She goes, but you don't look like Carrie Grant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and his response was, nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> That is classic. <laughs> yep. Now, again, that could be Peter Bogdanovich telling one of his tall tales, but it sounds too good. I want to believe that that's true. I so. believe it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's it. I'm a Big Girl Now, a show that for some reason I watched. If you Google it right now, it's not worth more than two or three minutes. Although I will say again, listen to the theme song because it's just... I used to be a little girl, and now I'm on my own. But, uh, daddy, I'm a big girl. No, it's the, the worst theme song of all time. 
Well, if you've done it, it justice at all, I believe that. I think, yeah. <laughs> well, anytime I do a female in, uh, impersonation, it ends up it ends up sounding like Aunt B. Andy, Andy, <laughs> hope you got into my unmentionable drawers again. You know, so that's a good Aunt B, though. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, all right, so that's my show. Again, mediocre at best. I'm sure you've got much more A-plus material. You haven't picked a show, but what have you picked for us? Well, you know, I guess you asked me whether my show, quote-unquote, involved comedy. And I would say, first of all, it's not a show. And second of all, this is comedy only possibly in the sense that tragedy plus time equals comedy. But uh, I've got some, like, awards for you tonight. We're going to do an award show or a top top five list uh, here in different categories. Uh, and the first category are top five actor comebacks after serious strokes. So we've got the stroke stroke victim awards. Okay. And uh, now on the one hand, I'm not making fun of anybody. Having a stroke is very serious. This is my public service announcement. You know, please uh, pay attention to the early warning signs. Get yourself to a doctor's credit. But what I'm saying is there have been a lot of actors. They're human beings just like us. And over time, they drop dead. They get sick. They go away. Life happens. So there's a lot of them that have died. But how about, as a matter of interest, let's say, what about the actors on TV who have come back from a stroke to go back to TV, to their roles? And how, if at all, was anything different? So I'm going to go over the top five in my book, top five all-time Actor returns after a stroke. Are you wow. ready? Wow. This must have required a lot of research, so I'm very impressed. Go on. Well, I'm going to start. Usually we start like number five and then work up to the number one. I'm just going to go, because you know who number one is, so I'm going to start with number one and go down to number five. Number one, of course, everybody knows, um, would, would be uh, Jerome Lester Horowitz, otherwise known as Curly Howard on The Three Stooges. Now, Pretty much everybody, most people, most stooge devotees think Curly was by far their favorite stooge. Right. You know, uh, I mean, everything from his, you know, spinning around like a top on the floor and barking like a dog. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Why don't you answer him? He's talking pig Latin. I don't know what he's saying. He's asking you if you swear... No, but I know all the words. Kindly speak English and drop the vernacular. Vernacular? That's a doobie. Yeah, total energy, total um, childlike um, enjoyment and pouring himself into the moment on all these Three Stooges shorts and the physical comedy was beyond reproach, beyond belief. Number one, he's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of silly comedy. Uh, this guy's even underrated as much as people love Curly Howard. Yes, we've I would agree. The, Completely underrated, 100%. Yeah, we've, and we've done Curly, uh, Three Stooges, before we talked about Curly. But what had happened, just as a refresher, is he started with the Stooges in the 30s, taking over from for his older brother, Shemp, who later replaced Curly. You know, he lived a very kind of a rough life. He kind of suffered from some depression. He didn't like being bald. He... he he was popular with the ladies, but he he rabble roused, caroused, drank. I don't know to the extent it contributed, whether it was exhaustion. But by the time he got to the early and then mid nineteen forties, he was deteriorating fast. And we 
you notice when you watch episodes uh, from the early days, he's very sharp, very high voice. Hey, Mo! Hey, Mo! And in later episodes, around the mid-40s, you see he slows way down. Hey, Mo! Hey, Larry! Nobody said he had a stroke back then, but now people think, the doctors think that maybe he had had already some mild strokes. Do you know what I'm talking about, watching the Stooges, and you see the difference yes. between early, yeah, there, curly, there, and... There are yeah. about three or four episodes where you're like, he just seems like he's off, and then when you go back and yeah. research, you realize that those were his last ones. And I think Mo, and I obviously, again, I read Mo Howard's autobiography... And he suspects that Curly did have a small stroke and wasn't well. And he actually, uh, uh, I think he had the big stroke on the set because Mo was like, oh, my God, and there's Curly, and he couldn't move or whatever it was. So he did. exactly right. In, yeah. in 1946, they, they were making a, a short. Um, I don't know which one it was. I, I got it here somewhere. But he was sitting in a chair. It was called Half Wits Holiday. It was released in 1947. And they're shooting it. And Curly, who again was not doing well already by this time. By the way, in the off season for these guys, they never, like Abbott and Costello, were allowed to do movies and made a lot more money. These guys were not allowed by the studio to do movies. They would have to go hustle. And in the off season, when they weren't shooting the Three Stooges, they would do daily performances all around the country, like barnstorming. And yeah. that really did help deteriorate his health. So here in 1946, they're shooting Half Wits Holiday. Curly is all of a sudden slumped in the chair. Mo comes over, sees him, something's wrong, and he couldn't talk, and he was just crying. Uh, Curly was. And so they hauled him off to the hospital. And then the studio made Larry and Mo finish filming that day before they could even go visit Curly in the hospital. So, you know, that was the end of his career. 19, you know, Shemp takes over. He later came back in an episode, I think it was in 1947, called Hold That Line. You can look it up online. Shemp, Moe, and Larry are walking down the aisle, and Curly has got a hat over, and he he's sleeping, and they pull the hat up. They're walking down the aisle. It's not, they're on a train, I should say. Right, right. And they pull the hat up, and um, he's got a clothespin on his nose. They pull that off, and he starts snoring, and he goes, whoop, 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 whoop. you know, the old classic curly lines. And like, nope, that's not who we're looking for, and they put the hat back on. Right. But that was about it. He had another minor appearance in a cameo role, but basically deteriorated after that and lived until 1952. But... I think we can say safely, unless you end up disagreeing when I after I get down this list, that probably about the, the one of the most famous return from stroke appearances on TV, which was originally in the movies, I guess. But anyway, on TV would be Curly in the Three Stooges. So I'm giving him the number one slot. No, very good, and that's that's a fact that I think a lot of people don't know. The fact that he actually did a cameo or two after he had that stroke. So, and of course, that was so long ago. You know, that was in the 40s and 50s. So many people are like, you know, they watch the Stooges. They don't know when any of them were shot. They're like, oh, it's a Shemp. Oh, it's a Curly. Oh, it's a Joe. You know, they don't realize that, that right. Curly was, it was Shemp originally in vaudeville. Then Curly took over. And then when Curly got six, Shemp came back, if I remember correctly. That's exactly right. Shemp came back. And then he died a couple of years later. Right. And then they started to get into... Curly. Now, did you know the Three Stooges went until 1970? They had almost a 50-year run in total. I mean, just astonishing. Oh, I know. Yeah, but and they and they were actually developing something near the end when Larry had his stroke. Yeah. And, and that's when they just said, and Mo Mo would go on the Mike Douglas show like once every mm -hmm. couple of months. 
So Mo was still actively performing up until he died. You can go online and look at a picture of Mo visiting Larry in the nursing home. Larry's in the wheelchair, but he still looks okay in 1973, you know. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, shortly before uh, both of their deaths. So anyway, number one slot goes to Curly. Now, I'm going right. to give you a guess. Who, who do you think number two is? I'm going to say Howard McNear, Floyd the Barber. Yeah, Jim, yeah, yeah, he's a right. Oh, and you're going to win a free haircut. <laughs> Floyd the Barber on the Andy Griffith Show uh, was on the show, I think, from about 1960 to 1967. In 1963, Floyd. I mean, you don't get any more iconic as an as a TV character than Floyd the Barber, I even even saw a guy wearing a pink Floyd T-shirt one time, which was a pink T-shirt with a picture of Floyd. Yes, the Barber. I love that. Yeah. I love that T-shirt. That's so that's so good. So, in 1963, Floyd suffered a stroke, and it rendered most of the left side of his body paralyzed. He left the show for about a year and a half. I mean, I know you know all this stuff. And Andy Griffith asked him to come back, and they said we'll work it out, and they did. And then, as you and I have talked about on many occasions, Floyd came back, but he's not the same. One of the things you notice is he's always sitting down, or sometimes they have him standing up, which he couldn't do on his own. So they have him wedged in or propped right. up. Uh, he's always by somebody. And you know, the speech is about the same, but a little slower, it seems like. And maybe that's what was like more exaggerated, like classic. That's actually the more classic Floyd. Like the early episodes, uh, Andy. We should get the boy a haircut. You know, he would talk like that. And the later ones, hey, say, don't be too hard on the boy. Yeah. That's more the classic Floyd, I think. Right. But by 1967, according to with your favorite actor, Jack Dodson, uh, who played, of course, our favorite character, Howard Sprague, right. uh, Howard McNair, Floyd, was actually getting quite frustrated and forgetful of his lines and basically quit. He just he had, he had kind of had enough. But kudos to Floyd, I mean, Howard McNair for hanging in there for a good uh, two, three years at least. And uh, Stroke Victim Comeback Award number two slot goes to Howard McNair. I remember one episode where... Floyd supposedly comes in the sheriff's office and Andy's in the back room. So you hear the door open. Andy, are you there? Yeah, Floyd, I'm in the back room. So he walks in, but Floyd's already sitting in a chair. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. They, they yeah, pulled no. a lot of stuff. It's fun to watch those. And you're like, wait, like there's the one where they have the party and he's leaning up against a chair. Everyone stands around and you can tell that they've probably he probably has like a stool. That's like almost a stand up stool. And you're like, wait a minute. His posture is a little off there. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. So when you know that, then when, now on those later episodes, you I, that's all I do is watch for flow. How do they have him? Like, is he wedged in somewhere? Do they have, is he like strapped to the barber chair or whatever, you know? So, but, um, hey, he did it and he made yeah. some money. And, um, like I said, those were some of the classic Floyd years, actually, as far well, as the, the last episode he did. And I've seen it. It's when Goober runs the lottery or the contest at the filling station. You remember where they give away yeah. like two and it turns out he screws up and Floyd wins the jackpot, which wasn't supposed to be the jackpot. It was supposed to be, you know, $500 total. But for some reason, the printer printed up one for $500, you know. So anyway, uh, Goober was 
you know, five hundred dollars over budget. But Floyd yeah. ends up winning, and Floyd the whole time is in his convertible, and you listen to him, and he's really, really struggling in that episode. Oh, yeah, wow! Eddie, I just want to know what you're doing about this. Well, Floyd, I got to thinking about it, and I realized that there is a matter of law involved here, and so I'm taking the necessary steps. Good. What have you done? Only thing I could do. You lock a fella up for a thing like this, huh? Oh, sure. For this trial. Well, I got things to do, Floyd. Comfortable in there, Goober? I don't yeah. remember that part. Uh, I'm going to have to check that out. It was a wow. color episode. A color episode. Maybe 67, I think. It's a shame. It really is because you can tell he's just not well. Yeah. All right. So that's number two. All right. Now number to number three. Number three, most famous or uh, uh, I'm doing this based on uh, interest level or how famous it was you know I'm not making fun I'm just saying this is interesting to me so number three return from a stroke uh, award is listen 1986 uh, playing cards in Palm Springs with my good friend and uh, you know I didn't feel quite right and before you know it boy oh boy I had a stroke holy cow uh, I never thought it could happen to me. And so Harry Carey, uh, our favorite broadcaster for the Chicago Cubs, suffered a stroke and returned, I would almost say better than ever. He actually returned. The voice was quite a bit different rather than you know early Harry Carey back in the Cardinal days. And here's Musial now. Here's a drive in the left field. Eddie Meyer has it. Boy, Musial's really hot tonight. And then maybe for the White Sox, It'd be, Ralph Gard chases it down. Boy, there they go. White Sox win. And then after the stroke, let's, uh, you know, uh, I never miss a game in my life. For leukemia, whatever the case may be. So I had a little stroke, uh, you know. But, uh, yeah. but uh, so in any event, you'll remember when he was gone, they had a bunch of, I'm going to say imposters. Uh, what do you say? Um, oh, substitutes. Sure. Uh, like Bill Murray did the game for a while. Bob Costas came in and did a game. Um, I don't think Milo Hamilton substituted. But other than that, it was a no, they, big br- deal. Yeah, Brickhouse did a few too, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And Harry Callis from the Phillies. and Harry Callis. Yeah. Uh, but it was a big deal here. You'll remember when Harry was gone with his stroke. And then he came back. And then, you know, he... He came back, I think it was, was it the same year in 87 or 88? And then he went till 1997 when he passed away of a heart attack while he was having dinner in Palm Springs. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, I guess that seemed like a good, you know, as good a way, except for being at a bar drinking Budweiser, that seemed, you know, if you're going to go, you know, having dinner in Palm Springs ain't all that. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. And I guarantee you he wasn't eating at a Denny's. No. Why do you say that? (laughs) I'm sure, Harry, you know, I'm sure it was a steak or a big piece of like, you know, a good fish. What's a good fish? I don't even know anything. Like a a nice piece of uh, monkfish. uh, uh, Sea bass. Sea bass is a great fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So, yeah. You're right. I'm sure it was not a Denny's. It was a nice restaurant, probably about 3.30 in the afternoon, 4 o'clock. It's when you know elderly people usually eat out there. But in right. any event, um, as we know, that wasn't the only accident Harry had to come back from. Back in 1968, uh, Harry was uh, sideswiped by a large uh, black car uh, while he was walking uh, back uh, from somewhere, and he was on uh, King's Highway 
near the Chase Park Plaza Hotel in St. Louis. Multiple compound fractures to his legs and all kinds of other injuries. So, Well, you know, I have two stories real quick yeah. that I think you'll enjoy. Number one is when he had the broken legs, He, I think it happened late in the season. Anyway, he was walking with crutches for a long time. So it's opening day, and Harry, is he's still got the crutches, and uh, so they announce him and make a big deal out of it, and he, like, walks out of the dugout with his crutches. And crutch, crutch, crutch. And everyone's cheering, cheering, and he takes one of the crutches, and he throws it away. And he's walking with one <laughs> yeah. crutch. And then he takes another. He throws the other one away, and he walks without the crutches. And Bob Gibson waits till it's over. He says, Harry, says, you haven't been walking with crutches for like six weeks now. And he says, <laughs> showbiz, Gibby, showbiz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what that is. And the other story I remember when he came back from his stroke when he was with the Cubs, of course, all the politicians had to get involved. Jim Thompson, the governor at the time, was there. I can't remember who the mayor of Chicago, might have been Mayor Daly or Washington or Jane Byrne, whoever it was. They had to come out and make a little speech. And, of course, the game, which was supposed to start at 1, it's like now 1-15, 1-18, whatever. And finally, they toss it up to Harry in the booth to say something, and all Harry said was, let's play ball. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, God bless him. Just let's get on with this goddamn game. Let's get Ryan Sandberg and Bob Dernier at the plate, you know. Oh, yeah. Do you remember when uh, uh, you recorded, you wrote a song about Harry Carey and his stroke? Remember that song, Talking Baseball? Talking Baseball, Willie, Mickey, and the Duke, and you made it about the Cubs. And, and I sang it as Harry Carey. You you put in the words, talking baseball, baseball and my stroke. Ron <laughs> Davis makes more than Andre Dawson. Isn't that a joke? We're talking baseball. <clears throat> well, I remember. No, no, no. I didn't write the whole thing because I remember you contributed the line. The pitching is pathetic. Lee, Lee Smith, Smith is, is copacetic. Copacetic. <laughs> Only time that word has ever been used in a song. <laughs> well, didn't he always look copacetic coming in from the bullpen? Oh, exactly. Like no, it's perfect. And the pitching was pathetic. That was one of those years where I think yeah. Chuck Rainey was our best starting pitcher. Yeah. And he blew the no-hitter in the eight, two outs in the eighth inning. And who, who broke it up? Do you remember who broke it up? I do not. Johnny LeMaster? Nope. Eddie Milner. Eddie Eddie Milner, that's right. Yeah, and I still remember pitch. if I if I can find it, I'll put it in the podcast. But I just remember Harry for you know the two outs. He, Here we go. He's all oh. excited. Then all of a sudden it was a pitch, you know, right over the heart of the plate. And all Harry did was say, "Base hit." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's good. All, all right. right, so three. We've got three. We got two three. more. And I'll pick up the pace here. Number four. And I think you'll agree with this one as far as the famous uh, aspect to it. December 24, 75-year-old Dick Clark is hospitalized uh, in Los Angeles after suffering what was initially termed a minor stroke. Well, yeah, pretty minor. Dick lived a, he d- he lived all the way till 2004, but he did, I think you'd have to say regrettably, come back and host one or more years after that of Dick Clark's 
rocking New Year's Eve. And again, not to make fun, although I admit I have, uh, but he couldn't talk at all. Okay, I mean, could not hardly speak. No, he, it, he just felt bad seeing him on TV and hearing him talk. I mean, I know you've played the clip before, maybe you will again, but it's. I give him credit. He worked his ass off. He worked hard to get back, but really should not have been doing the talking on TV, I don't think. Um, so Dick Clark, number four. And uh, unless you have anything to say about that, I'll go right to number five. No, no, no. You're exactly right. I felt bad for him, but he was one of those guys that lived for his work. I think he had yeah. to be, you know, yeah. and he should have probably at that point just, you know, faded away and been behind the scenes, but... What the heck? I, you know, I can't. The, the guy had a career unparalleled, I think, when it comes to when you think about all the things that he did and produced. And and he employed me because I was on bloopers and practical jokes and he sent me one hundred dollar right. check. So, yeah. So there you go. And of course, we have what's the highlight of just about every New Year's Eve party, the fun streamer, which Tina shot at the camera. And I'm going to attempt to do right now. <laughs> there you go. Now, I was thinking the other day. Okay, well then I'll say it. you don't have to, but it was all those things are true. But it was head over the under the covers time when he was yeah. talking after that. You're exactly on, right. On no, show. you're right. Okay, number five. This is a weird one, kind of a surprising one. Ellen Corby from the Waltons, Mrs. Lesh from the Andy Griffith Show. Now. I remember watching the Waltons way back up our way back in 1975, 1976 when it was first on. And I remember Grandma having a stroke. And yes, in real life, Ellen Corby, who played Grandma Walton, had a stroke. And it seemed like she looked like she was in her 90s already and her she was all like curled up and could hardly talk. This is what I remember. And then so I thought, you know, I give that was great. She she came back, but that was kind of like right at the end. No, it wasn't. It turns out that Ellen Corby stayed on the Waltons, and she outlived Will Gear, who died just a few years later. And wow. as a matter of fact, Ellen Corby came back and did um, appearances on the Waltons reunion shows. I heard. And I heard so that she's going to do Dancing with the Stars next season. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, um, no. Sadly, she has left us. Uh, okay. But uh, she did. I think um, it was a surprising to me that she was around so long. Honorable mention in the stroke comeback category: Kirk Douglas, who had a stroke, uh, famously could hardly talk. A very similar Dick Clark situation. Worked his ass off. I mean, he's a Hollywood icon. Then he appeared on a. Two, this was in 1986. He had a stroke. He appeared eventually on. Ho uh, um, uh, touched by an Angel in 2002, so I'm giving him credit. Not many people also know that Kevin Sorbo from Hercules suffered a, a variety of strokes and worked his way back from that. Sinbad, the comedian, is working his way back. Do you think this is weird I picked this as a subject matter, by the way? Are you no, I think it's very interesting. Yeah. I didn't know Sinbad had a stroke. Yeah, he, I guess he's working his way back. He's trying to get back in, in, in the swing of it. And um, I don't know this guy, but <clears throat> the show This Is Us features an actor who's recovering from a stroke by the name of Tim Amundsen. So uh, kudos to him. Now, real quick. Yeah. I couldn't resist. I don't want to take up much more time, but there were a few other categories of actor return from maladies or illnesses I wanted to just rapid fire go down the list. Do you mind? Okay. No, I love this. Okay. This is very interesting. Accident recovery category. We talked about how Mel Blanc 
1960 or yes. 1961 during season two of the Flintstones got in a real bad car accident. Remember how I was saying that they made the Three Stooges work too hard and they wouldn't even let Moe and Larry go see Curly in the... Right. Uh, yeah. Well, if you go back and listen, uh, there is a definite difference somewhat in his voice pre pre-accident when he's got kind of a higher pitched uh, Barney Rubble voice and then a little bit lower pitched Barney Rubble voice after the accident. There's a great story about Mel Blanc when he had the car accident. Of course, he also at the time worked for Jack Benny on the Jack Benny program. And he was, you know, Jack's go-to guy in the radio years. And he still used him in the TV years. So there's a, a wonderful episode. And I wish I could include some of it in this podcast. I had it on DVD because it was kind of one of those lost episodes that they reissued about five years ago, a two-DVD set, and for whatever reason, these shows hadn't been released, and they released wow. them. Now, it was, it's a great DVD collection. Unfortunately, I sent it to Frank Santo Padre. From the, <laughs> I, the Frank Sandro Padre. And he hasn't sent it back to me. So maybe I can find it on the internet. It's his Christmas episode. And Jack does, like half of the show, he goes out in the audience and there's Frank Nelson playing, you know, the wise guy. And they're doing just a regular show. And it's funny. And on stage, they have a Christmas tree and presents. And, um, and, and so then Jack says, okay, we're going to stop the show right now because I want to bring out my good friend Mel Blanc. And Mel's in a wheelchair still. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a special gift here, a gift for someone special that I want to talk about. He hasn't been on my show for a long, long time since his automobile accident. And you're going to see him tonight for the first time in almost a year, Mel Blanc. Well, Mel, it's really wonderful having you back on the show, and particularly on Christmas. You know, thanks, Jack. It was nice of you to ask me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we've missed you, uh, Mel, not only because of your talents as an entertainer and a comedian, because, but of your quality, uh, being such a fine individual. You know? Well, uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're going to be... Well, pretty soon, and you'll be able to walk. That's just wonderful. And I, uh, you know, many times we'd rehearse, and I'd think, gosh, why can't Mel Blanc be here? You know, those lovely voices that he does, and those wonderful imitations. Stop and- gabbing and give me the gift already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. You know, Mel Blanc has a wonderful sense of humor, I must tell you. The night of this accident that happened on Sunset Boulevard, here he was absolutely unconscious, and they brought him to the hospital, and he would really had a bad accident, you know, and there were, there were all these specialists working over him, you see, and as soon as he opened his eyes and he could see who they were, tell him what you said. Yeah. What's up, Doc? <laughs> and then, of course, at the end of the show, they, like, bring out the rest of the cast, and they give presents, and then I think the presents were all props, and Frank Nelson comes in at the end. He's like, wait a minute, these are all empty. I, th- I thought this was real. It's just a fake show in any way. So they kind of wrap it up with a comedic touch. But for about 10 minutes, it's really heartfelt. 
Wow. That is amazing. That goes right along with what you were telling me about how Jack Benny was such a nice guy. Yeah. So that's really good. So very good. I'm glad you told that story. So Mel Blanc, uh, kudos to him. The next one, real quick, accident yeah. re- recovery. Mar- Marissa Hardigay, who's from Law & Order, right? I think you wow. mentioned. Oh, yeah. No, I've yeah. been watching Law & Order SVU recently. I, I, I think she's great on that show. Well, get this. You know when she was in an accident? With her mother, yes. Jane Mansfield. Yes. Okay? When she was famously killed in a horrible accident, Marissa, her daughter, Marissa Hardigay, and her brother were in the back seat. Yeah. So it was kind of a trick. But um, that's tragic, horrible. And third, third accident recovery, Tracy Morgan was beat up, broke all kinds of bones in his body, and then recovered and is uh, back at it. Uh, just real quick to finish off, Number one uh, general illness return, Larry Hagman, okay, old JR, got a liver transplant back in 1995 or 1997, very controversial. A lot of people thought he got uh, priority because he was a celebrity, and he shouldn't because a lot of the reason he had to get the transplant was cirrhosis, the liver, heavy drinking, but turns out the hospital said, nope, he didn't get any priority. I don't know about that one. Yeah, I don't know either. Then he ended up dying um, coming back to acting as Jr. on Dallas in 2012 and passed away from cancer. So that was now really wait, good. didn't he go through two livers? I want to say he started drinking after the transplant. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't. I didn't read about that. But anyway, uh, very interesting. Maybe for deeper dive. But I'm just finishing off with a, some, a few yes. sub notes here. And then finally, heart attack. Bob Odenkirk recently had a heart attack a couple years ago and returned to Better Call Saul. I didn't remember. Know that. Yeah. Well, he did. He did, yes. And he returned. I think it was a minor one. But you know what? Hey, any heart attack is a serious heart attack. As we remember, when remember when Larry King had his heart attack and, and he all of a sudden got shrunk up a lot, lost oh, all that yeah. weight, even though he wasn't real heavy. He looked just totally like a shrunken yeah. you know, apple. Uh, and then finally, number one award of all time for heart attacks, unfortunately, is uh, also the number one irony award, and that is Red Fox, yes. who passed away from the big one on the set of uh, some show he was making a comeback on. Uh, the, Royal the Royal Family. Family. I, yeah, that yeah. was it, yeah. And this is the guy who famously made it his bit to have the big one. I'm coming to join you, honey, and the, having a big heart attack. But he actually died from the big one on the set of The Royal Family. So anyway, that's my macabre march through... Um, Hollywood uh, illness and tragedy, uh, but uh, mostly is uplifting. That's because these people were able to make some comebacks uh, before they finally, uh, you know, kick the bucket. Well, you know, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Red Fox because I was watching, and I know it's never going to happen for me, but I still keep this in the back of my head. I would love to be in like one of those celebrity pro am golf tournaments. Like, you, you know, like when Bill Murray, you know, he's always such a big yeah, hit. You always. Know? But I've got the greatest bit. I would love to make a long putt. And then what I would do is I'd clutch my heart and I'd do the Red Fox. <laughs> and everyone would fucking know what you were doing. They'd be like, that's hilarious. <laughs> Very few corrections, so I'll do them quickly. Lily Tomlin did do the telephone operator on Laugh-In and not he are. And Jim J. Bullock very sadly lost his partner to AIDS, and Jim does have the HIV virus, but he's on medication, he's undergoing treatment, and he's doing very well. That's it. Those are the corrections. Thanks for listening to Down the TV Rabbit Hole. We'll see you next time right here.